Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Hi, this is Cheryl, and welcome to the Feathered Desert. Um, today's podcast is about conservation ranching and bird-friendly beef. So Kirsten and I have shared our discoveries about bird-friendly coffee, tea, and maple syrup. By doing so, we learned about the many different ways conservation, business, and consumers are able to successfully protect bird habitat. I recently read just a little blip about bird-friendly beef. I go, huh? Piqued my interest. So I set about to do some research and um, went down one of those rabbit holes again. So I just want to say up front that this is a very simplified version of actually what is taking place. So, and I was, but I was really surprised about what I found out and it made me rethink how I feel about um, cows and cattle ranching. And so I just wanted to share it with uh, you, our listeners. So grassland birds have suffered uh, declines in populations over the last 50 years, and these birds of our prairies have been plagued by widespread human development. The southeast corner of Arizona is known for its grasslands, and the, which is surprising. Most people don't know that yeah. we even have grasslands here in Arizona. They think of us all as desert. And the birds that live there, and the birds that live there, and the National Audubon Society went into action when they realized uh, the sharp declines of these grassland birds to combat the negative effects of the degradations of these valuable bird habitats. So Kirsten's going to talk about what they did. Yes, so to keep the grass on the landscape, the National Audubon Society has developed the Conservation Ranching Initiative. It makes it sound like something kind of scary, but it's not. It's very, very cool and interesting. This is a market-based conservation approach that offers incentives for good grassland stewardship through a certification label on beef products. So it's just like that shade-grown coffee or the bird-friendly tea or the maple syrup. And you guys, if you haven't listened to that one, definitely take a listen to our podcast, Wake Up With The Birds. And it talks all about that stuff. For the first time, consumers can contribute to grassland conservation efforts by selectively purchasing beef from Audubon certified farms and ranches, which I think is very cool for those of you out there that are beef eaters. Yes. Then take a look at that, and we're just going to tell you exactly, really, what is conservation ranching? It's it's it it sounds like it's complicated, but it is. But I kind of I broke it down um, so that we you know simplified it a little bit. You know, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. That's what. <laughs> and we try to do that. That's Not what that I Not that anyone that was listening no. is stupid. No, but <laughs> just so we could get it done in a reasonable amount of time. Right. So conservation ranching lies between the field flattening of typical cattle grazing. And cows, you know, they stand in one place and they eat all the plants down to the dirt and they don't really move around. And the random patchy grazing patterns of wild animals, such as bison, which they are eating and walking, eating and walking. So um, uh, they create more of a patchy uh, grazing pattern. Ranchers move their cattle to different areas before the grass is too low to recover. So in, in doing so, just like I said, the grassland recovers and becomes productive. Keeping the cattle moving allows for variations in grass height and diversity, and different birds enjoy different heights of grass. This was just so fascinating to me to go into um, 
the uh, intricacies of the prairies. Yeah. I mean, they really are so much more complicated than you really think that they are. It's not just a bunch of grass growing in one no, area. It's a definite um, sophisticated ecosystem. And so Kirsten's going to talk to us a little bit about what the ranchers uh, need to do. Yes. So any of you that might know people that are ranchers or ranchers yourselves that might be listening to our podcast, which would be super cool. Um, what type of commitment do ranchers have to make for conservation ranching to be successful? Well, you have to be all in. You've really got to be willing to be 100% and willing to try new methods. And this is not just for saving our birds. This is really for saving the planet, for all of us on it. Uh, Each property requires different types of handling, so it's going to depend on specifically how the ranch is laid out. And then some ranchers might move cattle a few times a day. Other properties that are much, much larger, uh, they may only have to move cattle um, every other day or less than that, depending on how large an area it is. And then that way, that also keep in mind that the grassland takes a little bit longer to recover when you have a slightly larger area. Uh, Ranchers learn from other ranchers that are successful at conservation ranching, which I thought was a brilliant strategy because you can ask someone personally who is a rancher and Mm -hmm. say, hey, is this really worth Mm -hmm. it? Is this something I can do? And they're going to be able to give you an answer from a place of real knowledge, not just from an academic or a conservation person who's like, yeah, I know this will work, but I've never done it. You're learning from a rancher who has actually done it. So the rancher learns how to better understand and manage the diversity of plant life on their property. And that is really probably going to make you a better rancher too, because it's going to make your animals healthier and it's going to cut down on how much extra food you're going to have to supply um, buying from an outside source and just using your own uh, land that uh, saves you a little bit of money as well. One of the ranches um, on the link that I provided that was highlighted is one of the first ranches that they that participated in this and it happens to be in New Mexico and um, run by um, a woman and so and she's very successful very successful very cool yeah so um, we didn't find any in Arizona um, but we're still working on it yes so uh, I just wanted to touch a little bit on what are grasslands because this was something that was uh, new new uh, to me this country is blessed with such a diverse landscape rich in natural beauty and wildlife that said i'm only going to mention four types of grasslands or prairies so and i just want to get a visual because when i was actually looking at this i got to see pictures and they highlighted a map where they were located so tall grass prairies those are the prairies that you see when you drive through uh, states like illinois iowa missouri and up in minnesota so those are probably the ones we see the most pictures of when pictures we talk of about or, or when we're traveling. So keep that in your head. Now, mixed grass prairies um, are generally the prairies of Oklahoma, Nebraska, which I'm very familiar with, uh, Kansas, and parts of Texas. Short grass prairies are the prairies of Texas. This is Colorado, Wyoming. We've seen quite a few pictures of Colorado and Wyoming prairies. Yeah. And Montana. And then we have... The grasslands of Arizona, which are the Chihuahuan grasslands. But not only does it cover the southeast area of Arizona, it covers um, Texas and the bottom half of New Mexico. So if you're driving that I-40 across the bottom half of New Mexico, that's what you're seeing. And then um, Kirsten has a list of what we're 
working to save. Right. So there are definitely several different types of birds in our grasslands. And we're just going to touch on a few of these. Yeah, because uh, the list was Because it's, it's, yeah, it's very, very long. <laughs> it's hundreds, maybe even up in the thousands. So there's the greater sage grouse and the greater prairie chicken. The greater prairie chicken is one of the ones I desperately want to see in the wild because they have these wonderful breeding leks where all the males get together. And they're the kind of the ones that you see, you see pictures here and there of, of strange and unusual birds. And uh, they've got the big orange sacks on the bottom of their neck and they balloon them out and they make like drumming noises. Ugh, I totally want to go and see them in the wild doing this. It's amazing. I have a story about that too. Um... When we were traveling to Nebraska to see family, we drove through a corner of Oklahoma, and I kept seeing these birds running around the side of the, the road. Um, and what are those birds? And it turned out to be actually the lesser prairie chicken. Oh gosh, that's amazing! Oh, I've always wanted to see the greater or the lesser, either one of them. They're just so cool. Uh, the ring-necked pheasant, also uh, the bobolink, uh, the western and eastern meadow lark, the lark bunting, the horned lark, the mountain plover. Mountain plover. There's a thing such as a mountain plover. Not kidding. The chestnut-colored long spur. The upland sandpiper. The long-billed curlew. I just love that name, curlew. I love to say it. <laughs> you wouldn't think it was a prairie bird. No, but it's a, uh, it's a fun one. Yes, vesper sparrow. The lark sparrow. The savannah sparrow. And the bared sparrow. Many of the sparrows are highly impacted by the loss of um, our grasslands. The sparrows in particular are ones that we see in the Arizona grasslands. Yes. Uh, the ferruginous hawk, the American kestrel, and of course our most beloved burrowing owl. But keep in mind, this is a very small list of birds that are being supported by this conservation ranching. But these are the ones that we are trying to support. And I tell you, that burrowing owl, he's a great poster child for this. Because I have never met anyone who doesn't love a burrowing owl. Yes. With their little <laughs> eyes and the fact that they run around on the they're ground. So animated. Yes. I mean, there are people that I have met that are, like, not bird people. And I have introduced them to a burrowing owl. And they're like, oh, he's kind of cute. And I'm like, eh, I gotcha, at least one bird. <laughs> All right, so um, one of the reasons that uh, cattle or the beef industry has hit a slump is because of climate change. So it is true, cattle contribute to grass, greenhouse gas emissions, but controlling levels of harmful emissions is all about the math. Making a face, Kirsten? Math. I don't like math, <laughs> but this sounds like it's good math, and I need, to, I need to get better at this kind of math. So plant growth can return global warming promoters back into the soil in a process called carbon sequestration. Grassland, grazed grasslands can suck, this is fascinating to me, can suck back into the ground more than what a cow emits. Huh. So, and you know, that scientists, that people are actually looking at this, just like, I don't know what, what they do. They sit around a table and think, how, how can we solve this problem? And they think, they think of so. these things. It's just amazing. They're awesome people. So conservation ranching has a chance of improving climate conditions. And they are researching this, and it's very encouraging. That's awesome. So, Kirsten, um, yes. how, how, how do you measure a ranch? Yeah, a lot of people might be thinking that. How really is bird friendliness of a ranch measured? And it's very similar to tea and really a coffee one as well, uh, shade-grown coffee. And there's an index. So there's a bird friendliness index. I love that there's a bird friendliness index. If you come here to Wild Birds Unlimited Mesa, we're real high on the bird friendliness <laughs> index. <laughs> so what this equation does is it factors in how many of the sought-after species, some of the ones that we mentioned just a moment ago, each ranch has... 
and then as well as the population count of each species. So they're, of course, going to look at where you are in the country and then where what your area actually supports. And then they're going to um, go out and bird, essentially, and count how many species they see and then how many um, individuals they see. So the higher the calculated score, the more bird-friendly the ranch, which is absolutely what you want. Mm-hmm. So any operation, no matter how low the initial value, can join the Audubon certification process. So you could be very small, only have, I don't know, five cattle. I don't really know how yeah, many you have to have. Or a small land space. Right, small land space. doing it wrong forever and have nothing but, you know, very little plant growth. Yeah. Um, or you can be really, really big and have hundreds of thousands of acres and you can uh, join this process as well. So the goal really is to see the ranch become more bird friendly over time. So they're going to come out and initially do a count and then sometime later they'll do another count and they'll continue to do that as time goes by and hopefully what they're seeing and hopefully what the rancher is excited about as well is an increase in the bird population, which also means there's an increase of the grassland area that they're able to use. I think it's very exciting. So I'm going to let you know what the ranchers get out of all of this. And before I say that, what wasn't mentioned earlier with the prairies is that it takes two to five years for a prairie to recover from cattle grazing. Yeah. So when they go into this, they are... This is some long-term commitment. long-term commitment, and they they are encouraged to see in the long-term, not the short-term. So I applaud um, these ranchers. The ranchers get to keep their land because if they do not have to sell it because they have a more valuable product to take to market. And remember that these ranches have been in families for decades, just like we're seeing the decline of farming. Right. Um, Independent farmers. We really don't want to see the decline of independent farmers or independent ranchers. They don't want to lose their land, and we certainly don't want it to be not there. Housing development. Right, no. And this is a great way, like you said, they don't have to sell their land to keep their business and keep their families fed and stuff like that. So Yeah. Um, healthier cattle, because plant, who knew this? Well, because plant diversity and more activity can create a healthier animal. Absolutely. Well, it's just like we talk yeah. about in some of our pollination um, podcasts that the healthier a bee is by visiting different flowers, I would imagine also helping cattle digest different types of plants. It's going to help them be a healthier animal. So grassland habitats can can be protected with conservation laws if endangered species are thriving. So that's they get um, that support yeah. out there. Um, better again, better market for their product because. There's smarter consumers out there because now we're educated and um, we have power with our dollar. And support for what they, ranchers, are trying to accomplish, which is to stay in business in the small scale. They also, through research, have found that they get healthier soil, cleaner streams that run through their property, and greater wildlife diversity. And all of that not only impacts them for their mental health and their, their own happiness as their families living on this land, but it, it's an improvement for everybody. Absolutely. So It keeps their businesses going. It keeps their livelihood um, up and running. And that's all that's the reason important. right there. Yeah. Yes. So I'm going to talk about what the consumer gets. What do we get out of this? Well, we get a better, higher quality product to eat. Um, ranches that have the Audubon seal of approval also affirms the cattle received have no antibiotics, no hormones, and were treated humanely. 
That's important to mm-hmm. the Audubon Society as well. We're not just about protecting birds. We're about protecting all the animals that we can. Uh, you get a less monoculture agriculture, which is absolutely fantastically wonderful. This is what is driving some of us into craziness when we think about it. Um, but having a monoculture agriculture is what is killing off our pollinators and killing off our uh, native bees and our honeybees. Uh, large corporate, corporate landowners um, mass producing a poorer product. We don't want to have giant corporations doing a monoculture agriculture. And so that is what this is one step to prevent that. Um, we of course have the preservation of our grasslands and the preservation of our grassland birds, which I know for our listeners is incredibly important. Even if they happen to be vegan or vegetarians, this is certainly a program they could get behind because it does help our birds And if they're not going to eat it themselves, they could mention it to friends or family Mm -hmm. that do eat um, meat uh, to check this program out. Of course, the most important part is the preservation of our pollinators. Since our entire world and society depends on pollinators, such as bees and butterflies, having these grasslands surviving definitely supports them as well. We get that abundance of wildflowers, which in turn is what helps support those bees and butterflies. That helps support us. And then the healthier soil and cleaner water streams are absolutely wonderful as well. It means that the ranchers don't have to worry so much about providing extra water for their cattle and making um, more money that they have to pay out to provide clean water because they don't want their cattle drinking out of the stream. But this is giving them that healthy soil and that cleaner water. And then also for their own use as well. If it's their mm-hmm. own land, they can go and mm-hmm. enjoy that as well. And water moves, so even downstream. Right, especially those people who live in uh, cities or towns that are at the lower end of those yeah. streams. You're getting a lot out of doing something like this with uh, the healthier water. So uh, conservation ranching takes consumers from the conservation's, conservation's relative sidelines and puts them front and center in influencing the quality and quantity of bird habitat. So it actually puts us in control. There are more than 140 ranchers, produce, ranchers or slash producers of beef participating in the program. I was impressed with that. That's very cool. I was impressed with that. And these are all independent landowners, which means they're privately, it's privately owned property. A lot of them have had the family, uh, the land in the family since the 1800s. It was, um, I, I just it's think. It's very encouraging. Just, yes, and that. I just thought this was a, just a really good program. Yeah. Kudos for them for, think, for thinking of it. So the Audubon Certified Bird-Friendly Seal recognizes lands managed to provo- promote birds and biodiversity, which is what we have been talking about. Until now, just like the fence post minus the meadowlark, Something was missing in the grassland conservation. And now, appearing on a freshly updated seal at a grocer near you. So this is how you get to purchase the um, product that we've been talking about. You're on the label, you're going to see a grazing cow, a blooming cornflower, a pollinating butterfly, and a singing meadowlark. It's a foursome that better visually represents the habitat now in bird-friendly land management and what a cool um description of land bird friendly land management i just i just thought this was just really awesome um the new label is green and white 
Um, it's really pretty. I, it's not it's not very big, but it's noticeable. And I don't know. I'm going to be looking for it. I'll look for it at Sprouts, Natural Grocers, and absolutely. Hopefully, maybe the local fries might carry it. Who yeah, knows? I'll certainly be looking yeah. as well. And we will definitely post a link on there so you can uh, find that. Uh, little sticker on there um, so you can have a visual in your mind next time you go to the grocery store. And one last comment just about our local season here in uh, Arizona. This podcast is being posted in April and that is our nesting season here. And we want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, to check out our podcast about Don't Touch the Baby Bird. And it tells you all about what happens during fledging season and how we should interact with our fledglings so that both of us, birds and people, can get the most out of this season. And we hope you check that out. And we also hope that you're going to look for some Audubon beef soon. Yeah.